0: That Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Streetery lives and is ready to host all Nats fans for the entirety of the 2022 season. Walters would like to thank everyone for their assistance in helping to keep this vital part of Walters business around. Now let's get into the more important stuff and play ball.
1: If you're looking for the
2: best sports bar in Navy Yard, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: He sets now on two and two. Here's the pitch. Inside and it hit McCann of the foot. And that will force a run home. The back foot slider, and the Mets take the lead with a bases loaded hit by pitch.
4: It's New York one, and Washington nothing. Both sets and pitches. Swing a line drive, base hit right field. Cadeau will be waved home. Soto comes up
0: throwing. The throw home is cut off by Bell. Cadeau slides in safely. It's 4-0 New York. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, April 8th. 2022 along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals 2022 regular season has begun and let's hope the season as a whole goes better than the Nats opening day went uh, a glorious 2022 opening day this was not for the Nats it was an opening day that was of course initially delayed because of the lockout then we on Wednesday had the game move from a 4.05 p.m. first pitch to a 7.05 p.m. first pitch due to rain then we on Thursday had the start of the game delayed for an hour 16 minutes due to rain so the game didn't get going until 8 21 on Thursday night the game then took three hours. 31 minutes, and the game ended up being a 5-1 Nats lost to the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Mark, not exactly the way we would have scripted this game for the Nats.
1: No, and the problem, Al, is that I think we saw some things crop up during this game that we saw late last season, and that we were kind of worried about coming into this season, and it's a little bit discouraging when you see those Sort of worst fears come true. We saw a lineup that just did not take advantage of the opportunities that they got. We saw Patrick Corbin fading as his night went on. And then we saw, you know, I guess what we're going to call the B bullpen just not be able to keep it really close. I mean, they were never fully out of it, but the way this was going, you felt like they needed to keep this within one or two runs to have a shot, and they couldn't do that. And those are all things that I think going into this, we were maybe a little bit worried about, and it sort of all came true.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I'd actually like to begin with Patrick Corbin. So look, I mean, we've had the Corbin conversation many times. Uh, It's very telling that he is the Nats opening day starter off the last two seasons that he has had. But I mean, here you are, right? 18 games in 18 days to begin the season. It's not like the Nats pitching staff projects to be great to begin with. And in game one, your number one starter your opening day starter lasts for just four innings and it's like here we go right from the get-go here Davey Martinez is forced to lean on his bullpen heavily five Nats relievers end up being used on Thursday night and you know with Corbin it was tricky because it's not like he got rocked in this game two runs in four innings but he certainly fell apart in that top of the fifth inning and While he did toss the four scoreless innings before the top of the fifth, there were some caveats to that. You know, he needed 20 pitches to get through that scoreless top of the first. He got bailed out by a beautiful defensive play, a terrific relay throw by Alcides Escobar in the top of the fourth off, having given up a uh, two-out double Eduardo Escobar
4: swinging a line drive left center field toward the gap. This is trouble. Robles not going to get it. It's one hop bouncing off the wall and in play. Lumbering toward third Alonso, racing toward the plate. Escobar comes up throwing home. The tag by Ruiz is in time. He is out. Robles, Escobar,
0: Ruiz. They gun him down at home, keeping this game scoreless. You know, I don't want to overstate it and say that, like, Corbin was, you know, wretched in the game or anything like that. He wasn't, but you clearly wanted more than four innings. He threw 76 pitches over the four innings.
1: Yeah, look, I actually thought there was some good in there. Those first three innings in particular, three and two-thirds innings, he's commanding his fastball in on right-handed hitters. He was getting strikeouts with that. He's using his changeup fairly effectively. The slider was pretty good. Retired, I think it was 10 batters in a row. At one point and you're thinking okay this is turning out all right here and then it kind of turned pretty quickly now like you said he was bailed up by his defense let's go back to the first inning. that Kbert Ruiz caught stealing of Starling Marte a perfect throw right on the money to get him
3: now the runner goes the pitch is high Ruiz with a throw it's going to be close and he is out at second base and he is cut down by Kbert Ruiz In his first
1: attempt to throw out a runner this year. What a throw! That quashed the first inning rally. And then you mentioned the relay play, which, look, Victor Robles' throw was offline. It was not really where it should have been. And Escobar, to his credit, got to it. And then, without even setting his feet, fires a perfect strike to the plate to Ruiz to get the stumbling and bumbling Pete Alonso for just a huge out that ends that inning. That could have gotten a lot worse if uh, they don't make that play. So, but up to that point, I liked what I saw from Corbin. He just really seemed to fade quickly there. And I don't know if that's just a case of, you know, the short spring, he wasn't really stretched out the way you would like to be. All of a sudden you're in the cold on opening day and it's a much more competitive environment and maybe just run out of gas before you would hope to. Maybe it was that, maybe there was something else to it. He was frustrated by the walk, by the hit batter there that ended his night. But I want to look at the positive there and say five days from now, his arms a little stronger. And then five days after that, that maybe that is some encouraging stuff there of what he may be able to do and just sort of finish what he started, which he was not able to do in this one.
0: Yeah, the hit-by-pitch was tough. Corbin issuing a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch of James McCann, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. Also in that top of the fifth was Corbin giving up a five-pitch walk to Mark Canna and giving up a single to Jeff McNeil up the middle on a 1-2 pitch to load the bases. So Davey Martinez then goes to Victor Arano, a guy who then had signed on a minor league contract, ended up making the ball club. Arano comes in, does allow an inherited runner to score on a Starling Marte grounder for a force out for the first out in what ended up being a two-run Nats fifth. But uh, Arano ultimately got uh, three outs in facing two batters. But then the bullpen parade began. And this is you know what we grew accustomed to as last season went on. And some guys were good on Thursday night, but some guys were not so good. Uh, Austin Voth was not so good. Two-run Met Six, he gives up two runs, gets just Two outs, he gives up a one-out single to Pete Alonso on a 1-2 pitch, throws a two-out wild pitch, issues a two-out five-pitch walk to Robinson Cano, gives up a two-out RBI single to Mark Canna, and gives up a two-out RBI single to Jeff McNeil despite him having been down at the count of 1.12. Andres Machado comes in and he struggles. Comes into the game with runners at the corners, two outs top of the six. Issues a two out hit by pitch to James McCann to load the bases despite McCann having been down at 1.12. Machado does then induce a grounder by Starling Marte for an inning ending force out. But Machado then gives up a run in the top of the seventh leadoff double by J.D. Davis to left field on a one-two pitch followed by an RBI single by Francisco Lindor to left center field. Patrick Murphy did toss a scoreless top of the eighth, although he gave up back-to-back singles to Robinson Cano and Mark Canna to begin that inning. And Mason Thompson tossed a scoreless top of the ninth with three strikeouts, although he issued a two-out full-count hit-by-pitch of Pete Alonso and also issued a two-out six-pitch walk. A lot of hit-by-pitches by Nats pitchers on Thursday night, Mark.
1: And they all came with two strikes, Alan. That was something that Davey afterwards was frustrated by.
0: I didn't like the uh, three batters here with two strikes,
1: that's for sure. I mean, that's got to go away fairly quickly. That inability just to put away hitters, when you get ahead of them in the count, you know, two strikes on a hitter, two outs in a lot of these cases, and they can't finish it off. That's something that's got to improve. That's no way to try to live life if you're consistently coming one strike away from ending an inning, and then it spirals out of control. So that is something that they want to be much better you know, Austin Voth, we saw a lot of this from him last year. It was pretty discouraging to see that again in his very first appearance. And, you know, I thought it was telling who Davey went to, the first guys. Victor Arano, first guy out of the bullpen on the season. Now, Arano did well. I mean, he did exactly what he could have, everything you could ask him to do in that situation. Bases loaded, nobody out. Back-to-back grounders to third. He gives up the one inherited run, but that wasn't his fault. But for Voth to be the second guy in what was still a close game, 2 nothing at that point, and all of a sudden it's 4 nothing is really discouraging. Now, like I said, these are the B bullpen guys with the team trailing. I would imagine on Friday, let's see how the game plays out, but if it's a competitive game or even if somehow they have a lead, we'll probably see Doolittle, C-Shack, Rainey, Finnegan. That's the A bullpen as currently constructed, and I want to believe that that group is going to be better than this one. But it's really important, even for the lesser guys, to just put up some zeros, keep the game within reach. Once it gets to a four-run deficit, it really felt daunting on this night. It just did not feel like that's something that the Nationals were going to overcome.
0: Do you think there's any merit to, like I said, 18 games in 18 days, trying to lean on fewer relievers in a game like this where you need to cover five innings because your starter only goes for four, like instead of using five relievers, could Davey have maybe only used, I don't know, three on Thursday night? Or do you think he feels like, I don't want to keep anyone in there for too long? Again, I worry about, you know, here we go. Game one and Davey has to use five relievers on opening night. You don't have an off day coming up for a few weeks here. It just feels like the bullpen is very much in danger of being overworked.
1: Yeah, this is why they're carrying 10 relievers though. You know, in theory, five of them pitched in game one and five of them will be available for game two. Now that's not a pattern you want to get into over the long haul, but for now you kind of have to know that that was going to be a possibility. You know, if anyone was ready to go multiple innings, then I'd say, okay, that's fine. But I don't know that any of these guys really were. Although who was it? Machado came back out after he finished one of the innings. Yeah, he went one and a third. So he was able to do that. It's a fine balance when you're only getting. 12 outs from your starter, it's already setting everybody else up to be in a bad position. So that, number one, can't keep happening. You got to get at least five innings from your starter, and you would hope that Josiah Gray can do that in game two. But I think for now, you're more likely to see a bunch of relievers for one inning until they've built up a little bit more, and then maybe you start saying two innings. There's an argument there that he could have brought in Paolo Espino to get a couple of innings and maybe save the rest. But I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's also thinking, if any one of my starters the next few nights get knocked out early, I got to go to Palo at that point. So it's almost like he's the this, this secret weapon. You know, we want to use him now, but you don't want to burn him out because you might still need him later. And it's a tricky spot to be in for a manager.
0: Yeah, and I think it's funny that you say that because Patrick Corbin did, in theory, get knocked out early, right? He only went four innings, but we almost look at that as like a a modest achievement for Corbin, given how bad he was last season. So, yeah, I mean, you got to get more than four innings out of a guy. I understand you had the abbreviated camp, but geez, I mean, that's nowhere near the Patrick Corbin that the Nats need him to be. Hey guys, it's Al Goldie for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need. And make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit WindowNation.com. Dot com. As you surely know, we have been having very up and down temperatures lately. With up and down temperatures, it's difficult to stay comfortable in your home with old drafty windows. The longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you waste on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Buy two windows, get two free. Pay nothing for two years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. And tell WindowNation that Al Galdi sent you.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
5: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The 1-0.
4: Swing a long drive right field. How about a home run? This one is going, going, and long gone into the first row of the second deck, just to the left of the Nationals bullpen. And Juan Soto's on the board, ladies and gentlemen, puts the Nationals on the scoreboard for the first time. It's now the Mets for the Nationals 1.
0: The Nats pitching was shaky on opening night. The Nats offense really didn't do much on opening night. The Nats for the game, just the one run, just six hits, just two walks, 10 strikeouts, one for seven with runners in scoring position. All of this happens despite Tyler McGill being the Mets opening night starter. Uh, No Jacob DeGrom, he's out right now due to a right shoulder injury. No Max Scherzer until game two of this series with him having dealt with a sore hamstring. And there just was not a lot happening for the Nats offensively. But there was Juan Soto happening. And, you know, if you're going to give... That's fans reason those that's fans who were able to uh, stick it out for the game on Thursday night then at least you could say hey those fans got to see Juan Soto smash an absolute bomb to the second deck in right field what a shot that was you know it's interesting with Soto bottom of the third runners at the corners and one out he strikes out swinging on five pitches but bottom of the six a one-out solo homer to the second deck in right field off Mets reliever Trevor May the homer per Statcast going a projected 428 feet and traveling 111 miles per hour. That was some shot by Juan Soto.
1: And did you see the catch by the kid in the second deck? On the fly, in the glove, his dad was like the most beaming, proud dad. He's yelling, that's my boy, that's my boy. That was great. Juan Soto homeward in this game. Juan Soto walked in this game. This is not the last time we're going to say both of those things happened in a game. You just hope that he does more than that and that the home runs in particular are a little more meaningful than this one was. Not his fault that nobody was on, but like you said, he did come up with two on in the third, runners on the corners, and he got a fastball over the plate. It's 98 miles an hour. It's up in the zone a little bit from Tyler McGill, but... Soda whiffed at it and, you know, not saying that's going to happen all the time with him, but you can't say he didn't get his shot. You can't say the Mets didn't go after him because they certainly did. So that was a little bit disappointing the one time that he didn't come through. Really though, to me, it's the bottom of the order in this game. Their six through nine hitters go one for 13 with a walk, a sack bunt, which we can talk about if you like from Victor Robles and six strikeouts from that group. So, on a night when Soto homered and walked, Josh Bell singled, Cabert Ruiz had a really nice night at the plate, got on twice. The six, seven, eight, nine hitters, Thomas Franco Escobar Robles, they're going to have to come through. There can't be a black hole there because you know they're going to come up with guys on base. If you're going to sustain any kind of rallies, it cannot just be that vacuum at the bottom of the lineup, which it was in this game.
0: Yeah, it was also a rough night for Nelson Cruz. He went 0-4. Josh Bell didn't have a great night. One for four with an infield single that to me should have been an error. I I thought Robinson Cano should have made that play. That was uh, what you would call generous home stadium scoring, which is fine. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm all for Josh Bell getting credit for a hit there, but uh, you know, that was a grounder that Cano should have uh, made a backhanded catch on. But I will say this. I am a big fan of Davies lineup from a standpoint of Juan Soto in that two spot. I think that's beautiful. I think that's exactly what you do. You put your best batter in that two spot you move up everyone. So Cruz is in the three spot. Bell is in the four spot. Caber Ruiz in the five spot. Lane Thomas in the six spot. I think that lineup makes a lot of sense. You know, I do have questions about this commitment to Cesar Hernandez as a leadoff batter. But let's see how he does. I mean, I'm not going to completely write him off for a game with number one. He went one for four with an infield single. But you mentioned Caber Ruiz. You can argue that he was the single biggest bright spot for the Nats on Thursday night. Very good both offensively and defensively. So he was an ad starting catcher, number five batter, two for four with a double and a single and one-on-one on runners trying to steal. Top of the first, an absolute bullet. Of a throw to gun down Starling Marte on an attempted steal. Bottom of the second, a one out double off the base of the wall in right field off Mets starter Tyler McGill. Bottom of the sixth, a two out single to right field. And on that aforementioned Alcides Escobar relay throw, underrated part of that play, Ruiz, a nice catch and tag. The throw was a straight line throw. It ended up coming in low to Ruiz. He makes the catch, applies the tag. There was a lot to like from KBR Ruiz on Thursday night.
1: There was a whole lot to like. I agree. He's the star of the game, at least, you know, from a big picture standpoint. That's exactly what you want to see from a young catcher. I'll say a couple things that I agree with you. I'm glad you mentioned the catch and tag on the great relay throw. How many prior Nats catchers would have finished that play the way that Cabert Ruiz did? I can think of a few who may not have been as successful at first catching the ball and then making the tag appropriately. So that was really nice to see. The throw was perfect. It's actually been a little bit of an issue of him this spring. I was not totally impressed with his throwing abilities. A lot of throws that tailed away from the second baseman and wound up in center field. So that, I thought, was really good. And at the plate, we talked about it at the end of spring training. He looks like the real deal there, and you saw it here in this game, the double off the wall, the single, the drive to the warning track in the fourth inning that for a split second had the crowd about to burst and then it died at the warning track let me tell you guys on april 7th that's not going anywhere on july 7th that's going to end up in the shrubbery out there beyond the outfield fence so arguably hit three balls well enough for three hits and one of them to be a home run i was really encouraged with him in this game and on his first opening night, a lot of attention on him, obviously, and he didn't seem phased at all. I thought he called a good game. Obviously, played well, you know, defensively and certainly hit well. So, most encouraging thing of this entire game for me is Cavert Ruiz.
0: I got to say this. I think it's funny that on that relay throw play, it's Victor Robles who gets credit for an outfield assist. As you said, the throw was offline. The guy who made that play was Alcides Escobar, and then, you know, to a lesser extent, K. Bert Ruiz, I really wish that we could adjust this. I mean, look, I guess you could say Victor did ultimately get the ball to Escobar and the play was made, but like, if you're going to credit someone with an assist on that play, if you're going to give someone a gold star for that play, it really is Alcides Escobar. Like, He deserves credit for the quote-unquote assist, not Robles.
1: A hundred percent. That was a fantastic throw. He is running to get the ball and then off balance, never having time to set his feet, how many other guys try to make that play and the ball just you know sails on them and goes somewhere that's not supposed to? They had a good night defensively. You know, Franco had, felt like every other ball was being hit right at Franco at third base. He did a good job there. Uh, Escobar did well. I think Bell made a couple of scoops at first base. Like I said, there really were things to like from this game. The problem is it's not enough to win. And you know, when you're not hitting, and then when you don't get the bullpen work that you hope to get to keep a game close.
0: All right. The Nats on Thursday morning set their opening day roster, made a variety of transactions, including placing uh, a number of players on injured lists. Uh, Steven Strasburg is on the 10-day injured list due to his recovery from thoracic outlet surgery. A. Ray Andreanza, no surprise, is on the 10-day IL due to that left quadriceps strain that he suffered in an exhibition game now two Thursday nights ago. Uh, the Nats put Will Harris on the 60-day injured list due to what the Nats have called right pectoral surgery. Just had this like cleanup surgery off his thoracic outlet surgery. And the Nats put Seth Romero on the 60-day IL due to a left calf strain. Uh, boy, things uh, things never are trending well with Seth Romero. But um, with Will Harris, I don't know, 60-day IL? I was a little surprised by that. I thought it might be a 10-day IL thing for Harris, but did you anticipate him being placed on the 60-day IL?
1: I think that's one of those that is borderline. Does he really need that much time? Maybe not, but they needed to clear a bunch of roster spots. They had four guys who were in camp on minor league deals make the opening day roster, so you have to clear 40-man roster spots for them all. They DFA'd Gabe Klobisitz. And then they used the Andrew Stevenson move from last week to clear a spot. And then they used 60-day IL moves for that. So that may have had a little bit to do with it. When he had the follow-up procedure, I think what Davey told us was that it's going to be three to four weeks before he starts throwing again. So in theory, if you're starting from scratch again, it could take you another month from that point. So that's, you know, approaching two months now. So I I get it. It's maybe not ideal, but I think the combination of that and knowing they needed To clear another roster spot it just made the most sense to do that not instead of cutting somebody else now you know Romero you could argue why not just cut ties all together there obviously they're not ready to do that despite the fact that to this point he has been a bust I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that nothing has gone right for Seth Romero since the day the Nationals drafted him they haven't given up on him yet but at this point it's going to take a pretty amazing turnaround for him to salvage anything with them in Strasbourg case, I was glad to see they didn't put him on the 60-day. That's maybe at least some indication on their side that they think sometime in May is doable. Put him on the 60-day, now it's going to be June before he's eligible to come back. So that's, you know, maybe a little bit something encouraging there for him because I thought there was a chance, knowing they needed to clear these roster spots, I thought there was a chance that Strasbourg could go on the 60-day as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Seth Romero, number 25 pick in the 2017 MLB draft. He has been a bust. He got arrested this past January 14th and charged with driving while intoxicated. I think a lot of us thought that that was going to be it for Seth Romero in the Nats organization. For whatever reason, it is not, but here he is now on the 60 day IL with a left calf strain. So with Will Harris, real quick, Davey Martinez on Tuesday morning revealed that Harris had undergone a follow up procedure clean scar tissue that remained from uh, his thoracic outlet surgery. So, you know, it wasn't just Strasburg who underwent that procedure last year. It was also Will Harris. Last June, he underwent that procedure. And I guess it's a reminder of, okay, you undergo thoracic outlet surgery. You're not out of the clear. And it's not just about coming back from the surgery. There may be lingering things. There may be a follow-up procedure that needs to be done. And so, you know, as we monitor Strasburg, I know that that's something to keep in mind of like, okay. Hopefully he's doing well, but we don't know what else might pop up with him as he mounts this comeback.
1: Yeah. And it's why we've been saying all along that this isn't like Tommy John surgery where there's a clear rehab program and everybody kind of does it the same way. And when you're done with it all, you're back to normal. In a lot of cases, unfortunately, pitchers who have this thoracic outlet surgery are never really the same. They may be quote unquote healthy and not have any discomfort or pain in their arms, but that doesn't necessarily mean they regain the velocity, the command, the stuff, whatever that they used to have. And so it's a huge question mark. You hope in both guys' cases that they do ultimately come back and resemble the pitchers they were prior to the surgery. But I don't think you can count on that. And the Nationals would love to get 20, 25 starts from Strasburg. That would be great. But I'd be careful not to just assume that and also not to just assume even if he makes 20 starts that they're going to be 20 quality starts. It may not be the old Steven Strasburg. It may be a completely different picture that we see when he does finally return.
0: Yeah, and we don't know if there might be another ailment that comes up with him. You know, it's like there's this presumption that the thoracic outlet syndrome explains all of these ailments he's had these last few years. That's a theory, and that may well be a correct theory, But we don't know that with certainty. We don't know that all these little things that have been popping up were all related to the thoracic outlet situation. So, you know, we know his durability has never been a particular strength of his. So, like, we don't know if other things are going to pop up with him as he's trying to undergo this comeback. So we'll see. But obviously... Hoping for the best. It's crazy with Will Harris. I mean, we've talked about this with Mike Rizzo. Darned if he does, darned if he doesn't with relievers. This is the final season of a three or $24 million free agent contract to which the Nats signed Harris January 2020. He has pitched a total of 23 and two thirds innings with the Nats. It's another one of these reliever signings that just has not worked out. So we'll see what ends up happening. $1
1: million per inning pitched at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, isn't that crazy? And, you know, he's a guy, it's nuts. His previous five years, 2015 through 2019, with the Houston Astros, he was good. He was mostly durable. He was older when the Nats signed him, but this was not a signing that people scoffed at. We were like, okay, this makes sense, and it just has not worked out at all. Well, game two, Friday night. Let's hope that this game begins on time and maybe doesn't take three and a half hours, but the pitching matchup is ultra juicy. Josiah Gray versus the ex-NAT Max Scherzer. The obvious storyline of Max facing his former team and facing one of the premier prospects for whom Max and Trey Turner were traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers last summer. We know that Max will be amped up. I'm hoping the Nats can maybe capitalize on that and maybe get to Max early in the game. We've seen Max get got in first innings in the past with him being super amped up. But, uh, you know, we'll see what the weather is. But this should be a really good atmosphere Friday night at Nationals Park.
1: It's going to be fun, and it's going to be fun right off the bat because it's going to be Scherzer in the bottom of the first and Juan Soto hitting second, followed by Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell. And Cabert Ruiz, for that matter, one of the guys he was traded for. And then the guy pitching happens to be the other guy he was traded for in Josiah Gray. It really all comes together nicely. I can't wait to see the Soto and Scherzer matchups. Will Juan give the shuffle to him? What will Max's reaction to the shuffle be? Will there be any like, you know, playful back and forth at all or even a nod or a wink or anything? Or is it going to be all business? You know, they had a nice tribute video for Max before the opening night game. Crowd loved it. He waved. Everyone took off his cap. I wouldn't be surprised if in his mind, that's it. OK, it's over now. We're moving forward and focusing on baseball. Now, let's also remember he's coming off a tweaked hamstring. He wasn't 100 percent committed to this start until Thursday afternoon when he tested it out and said everything is fine. But as we've seen from him in the past, I mean, I never doubted he was going to make the start. We know Max Scherzer. We've seen how this works. But we also know that often when he does make those starts when he's not 100%, especially something with his legs or his neck, you know, those kind of things, that he still doesn't give you the full Max Scherzer start. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be exciting. He's going to have his moments. But by the fifth inning, he may be on fumes a little bit. We may not see him pitch... As deep into a game, maybe there is a little shorter leash on him. So I would say try to get him early. That's usually the method that we've seen in the past, early home runs in particular. And then try to drive up the pitch count if you can. See if you can get him up to 90 pitches in the fifth inning. And he may not be good for much more than that in his first start of the year on a bad hamstring. It's going to be wild. The first one's always a bigger deal. After that, kind of like with Bryce Harper, it just kind of becomes the norm again, and we almost sort of just don't think of him as our own guy anymore. But it's going to be strange. It's going to be emotional. I hope for a really good environment, and I hope it's a, you know, there's some good encounters one-on-one between him and Soto and et cetera.
0: Yeah, and a nice opportunity for Josiah Gray. Like, this is a spotlight game. You know, Apple Plus television, to whatever extent that makes it a spotlight game. But, you know, it's a Friday night. You're facing the Mets. Season is just getting going. And wouldn't it be nice if Josiah Gray more than holds his own here against Max Scherzer? So we'll see. We certainly did see Josiah pitch pretty well for the most part for the Nats last year. He had that struggle spot in between starting off well and then finishing his season well. You tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit us up, email Tim Shovers. Again, the email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. The new Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is out. It is red. It is glorious. Mark, have you had a chance to look at it yet?
1: It looks very nice, Al, and I would highly recommend. And, you know, we now have kind of like the Nationals with all their different jerseys that they have now, you can wear the red one to the home games. And maybe if you happen to go on the road to follow them, wear the blue one for that
0: one. Exactly, exactly. You can make fashion statements with Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts. Who doesn't want to do that? In fact, I heard that a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt was worn at the Grammys. I'm not sure about that, but I, I was <laughs> I was told that. If you pick up the latest copy of Us Weekly, I think you could see a photo of that. But anyway, get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, including the new one, by going to Nats Chat podcast. Dot square, dot site. That's Nats Chat podcast, dot, square, dot site Also, special announcement regarding the NatsChat podcast. We are now on a second radio station. We're going to be this season Sunday mornings at 9 on Sports Radio 96.5 FM and 850 AM in the Hampton Roads area. So we're very happy to be on that station, in addition to continuing to be on 106.1 ESPN in Richmond, which you can listen to on ESPNRichmond.com. So very happy about that. We appreciate all of you listening, and we will hope for better in Game 2 of the Nats 2022 regular season. Uh, All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: McGill coming set, now the pitch. And a swing and a drive hit well to right field. Marte on the run, toward the line, way back onto the warning track. It's past him off the wall, off his glove in the carom, drops on the warning track, and in the second base is Ruiz with a double. Didn't quite get all of it on a warmer night. Who knows? Maybe that one sneaks over the fence into the bullpen. It's a one-out double for Kbert Ruiz. He has the first hit of the new season for the Nationals.